my cup, Lord. I lift it up, Lord. Come and catch this destiny of my to every one of Amen. us and let your name be glorified Amen. thank you father thank you, thank you jesus thank you, Lord. thank you holy spirit thank you, jesus. in jesus mighty name we have worshipped and prayed Amen. Amen. can we give the choir a clap let's thank jesus for them that god's grace will continue to abound towards them God will be lifted up in their lives in the mighty name of Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Good morning, everyone. Okay, this morning, there's an echo. Can you hear me well? Um, I know it had been put on the platform, but I think a better a better title for our meditation this morning will be Overcoming Obstacles to Healthy Relationships. It had been marriage, but I would say healthy relationships because they are married and there are single people here who are hoping to get married. Though the focus will be a little more on marriages, but just like Brother Michael prayed, even if you are not married, 
uh, apply yourself to the message because sooner than later, what you hear this morning will be very relevant to your future marriage. So overcoming obstacles to healthy relationships. Praise the Lord. Matthew chapter 22. This clock is not correct. It's late. It's five minutes late. Are we together? Matthew chapter 22. I will read from verse 37. Matthew chapter 22, verse 37. It's a scripture we have read in the last couple of weeks again and again, but it remains ever relevant. Jesus said to them, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. I always want us to remember that this, to love God with all your heart, with all that you have, with all of your breath, is the first and the greatest commandment. And the second is like it. You cannot do one to the exclusion of the other. Does that make sense? You cannot love man and not love God. You cannot love God and not love man. The two of them go hand in hand. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets, in other words, all of the entire scripture from Genesis to revelation hang on these two commandments to love God and to love, love man which is why last week I mentioned to us that our purpose our purpose is one God created us for one thing to love God and to love men anyone who tells you purpose is different from that is over complicating issues that is our purpose. And then your calling is how you amplify that purpose. How you establish that purpose. How you enact that purpose. That is your calling. And you can do it as a doctor, as a teacher, as a vulcanizer, as a mechanic, as a lawyer, as a soldier. In what? As a police. That is your calling. And your calling is to amplify and enact that purpose through your calling. Does that make sense? So we see from this scripture in, in, in Matthew chapter 22, verse 37, that God wants us to have healthy, successful relationships. Because he says, love me and love man. Love me and love your spouse. God wants us to love him and love our neighbors equally. 1 John chapter 4 verse 7 says, Beloved, 1 John chapter 4 verse 7, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God and knows God. Everyone that loves is born of God and knows God. In other words, one clear signal and sign that shows you are a believer 
who loves God, who knows God, is your ability to love. When love is absent in your life, don't tell me about God. Our interpretation of love may be different, but as we go on, we'll understand. Verse 11 further adds, verse 11, Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. What does the love of God mean to us? When God loves us, God does not hurt us. If you love God and love your spouse as you love yourself, you won't do things that hurt them. You won't do things that if they are done to you, will hurt you. So one restraining factor in our relationship with people sometimes is not so much of the consequence of what we will suffer by doing those things. It is by simply the thought that if I do this thing, it's going to hurt my spouse. If you love your spouse, you won't lie to your spouse. If you love your spouse, you won't cheat on your spouse. Oh, let me rephrase it. If you love God and you love your spouse, you won't lie to your spouse. You won't cheat on your spouse. You won't deceive your spouse. And again, you cannot be emotionally attached to someone other than your spouse. I need to lay this as a foundation and again let me make a quick disclaimer this message is for those who are born again this message may make meaning to you if you are not born again me but it's not for you this message is for those who have surrendered their lives to Jesus because when we talk about marriage in the church, we are not talking about boyfriend, girlfriend. We are not talking about people who don't know God. We are talking to people who know God. People who have submitted and yielded their lives to God. So let me lay this foundation by saying all of our relationships, especially our marriages, can be likened to a garden so on your wedding day you were given a lovely garden to the admiration of all around you that garden comes beautiful but you have some responsibility to keep it beautiful and attractive god delivers a beautiful garden to you on the day of your wedding but the beauty of the garden does not end on that day. You have a responsibility to keep that garden continuously beautiful and attractive. And to keep the garden beautiful and attractive, you have to do a lot of what? A lot of planting. A lot of watering. A lot of feeding in order for the garden to keep looking appealing, for the garden to keep looking attractive. Not just attractive to you, 
but attractive to others around you. Why do I say that? Sometimes, or let me say, God did not design marriage just for you. When marriages are good, God is often glorified. And onlookers, when they see your marriage, they want to get married. That's why Matthew chapter 5, verse 16 says, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. When our marriages are attractive and beautiful, it glorifies God. But that is not all. There are enemies called weeds ready to destroy your garden. How many of you have ever kept a garden or maintained a garden? You do not have to invite weeds. They just show up. They come uninvited. Whether you like it or you do not. They appear automatically. And that is why I want to share with you this morning four of these weeds that can threaten the beauty and peace of your garden. And for which you must can I repeat that? For which you must be intentionally uprooting regularly. What do you do to weeds? You uproot them. If you don't uproot them, what happens? They spread. So there are four major weeds. There are more. There are more. If we have time to entertain questions or anything, you may even be able to point out more to me. Okay, that are not here. There are more, but I want to focus only on this four that we all, we all intentionally, every day as we x ray our marriages, you must be uprooting them, uprooting them, and never let them grow. Obstacle number one, or weed number one, is your upbringing. your upbringing. Our childhood years are foundational and they are very important years. Many things we learned as children are absorbed in our spirits and they are absorbed in our subconscious. As children, we imbibed a lot of information. We imbibed a lot of knowledge, a lot of values without even knowing how and when they got into us. We learned many things about relationships and marriage as children from our parents and from those who raised us. Things about communication, things about emotions, intimacy. A lot of us learned how to parent ourselves and parent our children from what we learned from our own parents. We learn things about money. We learn things about male and female rules in a marriage. All these were gradually ingrained in our subconscious during our childhood and uh, our childhood years. And guess what? They are presently affecting our relationships. Some of those things. 
You know, normally it is true, according to um, Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 22, verse 6, which says that train up a child the way he should go, and when he grows, he will not depart it from it. Yes, normally it's true. So hopefully, this morning I would want to say hopefully, many things we learned were positive, hopefully. However, we must admit that our upbringings were not perfect. There's no one of us here who can beat your chest and say my upbringing was perfect because you were raised by imperfect human beings. So the question this morning is, have you ever put a such light? Did you hear me? Church, are you sleeping? Have you ever put a such light on your upbringing? What was it like? What was the upbringing of the person you are married to like? What is the upbringing of the person you are about to marry to? I don't know. Did I say that right? <laughs> that was tautology. What is the upbringing of the person you are about to get married to like? Yes, that's better. What did you learn directly and indirectly about communication when you were being raised? What did you learn about intimacy when you were being raised? About emotions, about money, and so on and so forth when you were being raised? What impact could these have had on your marriage or on your present relationships? Brethren, you know that some people grew up in highly dysfunctional, chaotic settings. And some grew up in less dysfunctional settings. That is true. If you grew up in a dysfunctional home, I want to tell you this morning that it was not your choosing. Neither was it your fault. But nonetheless, regardless of the fact that it was not your choosing, neither was it your fault, you are the one who carries the effect of your being raised or of your upbringing. You are the one who bears the consequences of that faulty upbringing or dysfunctional upbringing. Church, are we together? Yes. Somehow I have a way of knowing if I'm losing you. It looks like I see so many eyes heavy. Tell me that's not true. <laughs> so what did I see last? Even though... <laughs> no, what was the last thing in the message I said? <laughs> Sorry? Thank you. You may have been brought up in a dysfunctional setting. It's not your fault. But you carry the effect. You bear the consequences. Even though it was not your fault. But the consequences will follow you if you do not do something about it. Whatever your upbringing was like, 
there are parts of it that could present itself as an enemy of your present relationship. And can I tell you, brothers and sisters, that even parts of your upbringing that you consider good, parts of those upbringing that you think, oh, was very good, can also be an enemy of your present marriage. Does that make sense? Okay, let me give you an example. You may struggle or may be struggling with accepting your spouse as a career woman and you resent it. And that is because you grew up in a happy, nurturing environment where your parents functioned in a typical, traditional female male roles where you had a sit-at-home mom who was always at home when you were being raised. Does that make sense? That was the setting you were brought up. Is that not good? It's good. I'm coming there. <laughs> or a home where your mom does most of the cooking and serves your dad breakfast in bed. Meanwhile, your wife came from a home where anything you find, you eat all. <laughs> Every man to himself, God for us all. There's a relative when I was in secondary school that I visited. I went to spend holiday. Hmm, that was one of my worst holidays. Wake up in the morning. Ah, down the road, there's a woman selling nakara. I'll take this uh, five naira. Buy bread, buy nakara. In the afternoon, ah, this woman sell, sells uh, uh, amala and this thing. You know? Every, whatever you find, you eat. Every man just sorts himself out. At night, you roll under the bed, you sleep. Tomorrow, you start the same thing again. Or maybe your dad is the kind that when he's going out with your mom, he opens the door for her first to enter, and then he goes around and enters himself. Maybe you grew up in such a home. Is that not good? <laughs> but the person you married to, he saw the father. When the father is going to say, you are still behind there, I will leave you. <laughs> and you expect the same thing of your husband. You are caught in trouble. You give yourself hypertension for nothing. What's the point I'm trying to put across this morning? Many people bring in mental templates from their childhood. Templates that need to be brought under the scrutiny of their present reality. And also they need to be brought under the scrutiny of the word of God. So every now and then, 
each one of us, we need to take a close look at the ideas and the behaviors you brought into your relationship, you brought into your marriage from your past because they may be presenting to you the present challenges that you are experiencing. That is why I say, X-ray them. Put a such light on them. Perhaps, let me get a bit more practical. Perhaps, your upbringing made you believe it's manly and macho not to show affection to your wife. Unless, of course, you want one thing. Men, you know. Or as a wife, you feel you should have no financial obligations in the home because your mother had none. You carry that template into your present marriage without considering if it's actually fair or if it is workable in your immediate family. And some of these things from your childhood may present as weeds and they may try to choke the best out of your garden. Romans chapter 12 verse 2 admonishes us not to be like the people of this world but let God change the way you think. Then you will know how to do everything that is good and that is pleasing to him. That's from the contemporary English version. So thankfully, brothers and sisters, change is possible. Change is possible with God. No matter how deep in your subconscious a negative mental template is embedded, no matter how. You will have a need to put a searchlight on the truth of those templates which you brought in from your childhood into your relationships and learn new ways, new ways of doing and being that are in line with God's word and that promotes a healthy and a successful relationship. Church, does that make sense? We have to unlearn intentionally so many things we had learned. Not necessarily because they are bad, but because they don't fit into your present circumstance. Does that make sense? This is not to encourage people to continue in a bad behavior. Oh, well, accept me the way I am. No, that is not what it's all about. The reason I'm saying this is that as we are seated in church, people have a way of saying... <laughs> I hope she's listening, no? I hope he's listening, no? But never looking into themselves to say, what am I doing wrong? For those who are not married, incidentally, the person you may get married to may not be present in this service. So he's not hearing this. That is why we are saying these things. Sometimes you may have brought in templates which seemingly are good but you have to adapt them to the reality of your marriage. Does that make sense? A man, a relative from the village, visited a relative in their house, and when he got to their house, he saw the man pounding yam. 
He went back to the village and said, this woman has given him something to eat. Would you believe? <laughs> this man is the one pounding yam. They have finished him. His head is no longer on his head. But that marriage has lasted and lasted years because that is what works for them. Does that make sense? I know women like that. Obstacle number two. How time flies. Weed number two is your flesh. Who can remind me what we are talking about today? Overcoming obstacles to healthy relationships. And they come as weeds. Is that not what we said? The number two weed you will find is your flesh. The truth is that you are saved, but you still have a sinful flesh. And so does your spouse or the other person you are in a relationship with. And interestingly, there are no, <laughs> there are no other types of human beings to be in a relationship with. Apart from those with sin nature or those with flesh, human flesh that you can feel. Listen to what Romans chapter 7, verse 15 says. He says, I don't really understand myself. Paul was the one saying this. For I want to do what is right. I'm reading from the New Living, Living Translation. I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. He goes on to say, who will deliver me from this body of death? What I just described to you in Romans chapter 7 verse 15 is what is called the sin nature. The sin nature. John said he must increase what I must decrease. What does that mean? We must allow heaven to increase in us. What is heaven? The spirit of God to increase while the flesh must decrease. The stronger your flesh is, I hope somebody is listening to me. The stronger your flesh is, the more your relationships are set up for disaster. If you marry a believer with a strong, untamed flesh, or you refuse to tame your own flesh, especially in a marital relationship, the more unhealthy your relationship is likely to be. You know, oftentimes the euphoria of courtship, the euphoria of love, when love is shocking us, it makes us miss many things and many fleshy natures and tendencies in our intended spouses. But it is one to watch out for. You see, if we leave out every other weed that we have discussed or we will discuss, this one that we are talking about, the flesh, is enough to destroy your relationship if left unchecked. And what, how does the flesh manifest? 
It manifests in strife. It manifests in envy. It manifests in pride. It manifests in laziness. It manifests in anger. It manifests in selfishness or self-centeredness. It manifests in being self-absorbed. What a terrible thing to be in a marriage and in a relationship and be self-absorbed. You know what it means to be self-absorbed? You are indifferent. You have an apathy. You, you do not know what is happening. Insensitive to your partner. It manifests in bitterness. It manifests in unforgiveness. It manifests in manipulation. It manifests in contempt. It manifests in resentment. Ah, may you never be in a marriage where you are resentful of your spouse. Or where your spouse is resentful of you. I will talk about this as we go on, if God helps. What else haven't I mentioned? It manifests in greed. Selfishness, self-centeredness. And such like, you can add to it. We can't exhaust it. We can't. So this manifests as part of our flesh or our sin nature and is great enough enemy to destroy our marriages. Church, is somebody listening to me? When I do, what I do at times like this is, as I'm mentioning these things, I'm asking myself, which one is me? Not which one is he or which one is she, which one is me? Maybe it's time to consider how your flesh manifests in your significant relationship with others or with your spouse in your marriage. Yeah. Maybe it's time for you to do that as we are doing so now. Consider how bitterness may be affecting your marriage. Consider how anger may be affecting your marriage. Consider how competitiveness. Do you know that there are spouses that compete? rather than compliment each other. That's terrible. Someone that God gave you as a, a, a tag team, a partner, you are competing. Maybe consider how that is affecting your relationship. How resentment, how indifference or apathy is affecting your relationship. And when you consider it, you may find something today that you need to weed out. Tell yourself, for me to go forward, I have to weed this out of my marriage. The Bible tells us what the greatest antidote, what the greatest solution for the flesh is. And it tells us in Galatians chapter 5. 
verse 16 and verse 17. Galatians 5, verse 16 and 17. Listen to it. This is the solution to the manifestation of the flesh. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. This may sound a bit strange to some of us when it says walk by the Spirit. I think I've taken a message on the spiritual man. What does it mean to be a spiritual man or a spiritual woman? It's simple. It's simple. Church, can you hear me? Be led by God. Be sensitive to the promptings of God. Obey the promptings of God. You'll be a spiritual person. Let me just give you a little example. Just a little. If God knows, because God knows everything about us, doesn't he? That as a man, you can't see somebody like Beyonce and not fall. And you are on your way to Victoria Island. There are two ways that lead to Victoria Island. Third Mainland Bridge or a co-bridge. But he knows that if you take a co-bridge, you will meet Beyonce wearing bikini. But a co-bridge is a shorter distance to Lagos, Victoria Land, than Victoria Land. God will say to you, take Third Mainland Bridge. For you, it's not logical. Uh-uh. God, I've checked the GPS now. GPS says I will get to Victoria Land in 30 minutes. Third Midland says I will get there in one hour. It doesn't make sense now. But you know why God is telling you which you don't know? He's telling you to follow Third Midland Bridge because when you follow a co-bridge, you will meet the thing that will cause you to fall. That is what it means to be a spiritual man. Following the leading of God. If you follow the leading of God, the leading of God can never make you clash with the flesh. Does that make sense? Ah, church. That is why I say walk, walk by the Spirit. Most of us are Christians. We have been Christians for so long, but our flesh is so strong, so powerful, overcomes us at every moment. Your flesh is so strong, which is why you are in a constant, constant strife with your spouse. Oh, he did something or she did something. And you are just about to respond and say, look at you, how useless you are. And the spirit says, shut up. You say to the spirit, please step aside. Let me finish this matter. When I finish, I will come back to you. You are somebody who is walking in the flesh and not in the spirit. My wife and I watched a movie. You know the devil is very bad. 
the devil is so wicked that when he begins a thing, he never shows you the end. Do you know that that statement you uttered, that statement you uttered, can lead to death? The devil will never show you. Never. It will just be like, get even. You need to put him or put her in her place. But that little step you took, the chain of events that may follow it, may lead to death. Walk by the Spirit. Because of time. Weed number three. I've given a passing mention of it. Unforgiveness. I'm talking of the weeds. The weeds. That stand as obstacles and destroy relationships and marriages. Unforgiveness. Jesus warned us in Luke chapter 17 verse 1 that offenses will come. The sin nature and the flesh guarantees, did you hear me? Guarantees that offenses will always come. Unless you are walking on this earth as a spirit, oh, even Jesus offended people without him intending to offend people. The Bible referred to him as a stumbling block and as a rock of offense. Why? Because he's speaking the truth but those who don't want to hear the truth are offended. It is impossible to live with flesh and blood and not offend people. That is why Jesus said offenses will come. No doubt about it. Offenses can hurt very deeply. But offenses is not the real enemy. What is the real enemy? The negative aftermath we choose to hold on to after the offense is the real enemy. That is what unforgiveness feeds on. That negative aftermath that comes after you have been offended. Anyone you are in close relationship with, especially your spouse, often has the greatest capacity to hurt you, and vice versa. In Matthew chapter 18, verse 21 and verse 22, we read, Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? And Jesus answered, no, he asked Jesus, up to seven times, Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but, 70, uh, but 77 times. Yeah, translation says 77. Anyone. But 77 is less than 70 times 7. But even 70, 70 times. How many of you have been offended 10 times in a day and you forgive the person. Let's not go to 70, just 10 by the same person. <laughs> by the time the person does it third time, see if they sent you from the pit of hell. Tell them you didn't see me. <laughs> so let's leave 70 times 7. We don't know which one Jesus said, 
But whether it's 70 or 70 times 7, I'm talking about five times. How many of us have we been offended five times the same day by the same person? Unforgiveness is detrimental to our lives spiritually, is detrimental to our lives mentally, is detrimental to our lives emotionally, is detrimental to our lives physically. There's a reason why God, you were the one offended, but God says you forgive. There's a wisdom to it. Because unforgiveness hurts you more than the person that offended you. We all have heard of how unforgiveness is the cause of all kinds of diseases. And I believe that unforgiveness is a prison that cages people in with all kinds of toxicity. Or still, it's a terrible weed that is determined to destroy the garden of our healthy relationships. Yes. Clearly, clearly, brethren, God wants us to forgive our, for our own good for your own good. Turn to somebody and say, God wants you to forgive for your own good. You didn't say it well. To that same person again, God wants you to forgive. For your own. Okay, if you have not turned to anybody, turn to the other person. God wants you to forgive for your own good. He wants us to be free from the prison of toxicity and unforgiveness. If we want healthy, successful relationships, we must practice being very slow in taking offense. Can I repeat that? Ah, I'm looking for another word to say it. But let me repeat again. We must practice being very slow to take offense. And one of the best ways you can practice being slow to take offense is making excuses for people. The world calls you a fool. God calls you wise. Make excuses for people. There are many times I have called people maybe you can relate to this it's good to make excuses for people someone I had been meaning to speak to for a long time I had tried to reach the person I couldn't so I just said "Ah, let me send a message. So I went to WhatsApp. As I wanted to type, I saw the person was online. So in my mind, I said, ah, now is the time to call. I called, it rang, rang out. I called, it rang, rang out. I called, it rang, rang out. 
as far as I was concerned, this was a clear sign that he didn't want to take my call. After all, I'm seeing you online now. Abby? <laughs> Abby? And one day, I had made up my mind, this person, I write you off. And one day, somebody came to me and said to me, I called you, me. I saw you online. You refused to take my call. And you know what happened that day? I had my phone. I had opened it to WhatsApp. And something took my attention. Somebody engaged me, a client, that I just needed to focus. I saw the call coming. And in my mind, I will call back later. And I totally forgot. When that person came with me with that accusation, you know what God just told me? Remember when you were saying the other person, a similar thing could have happened. So sometimes you can conclude in your mind that something is it, but it may not really be. It may really not be. I know somebody here is saying, uh, Pastor, I've heard you, but for this particular one, Sha, ah, this one, this one, no, me, yeah, I know. <laughs> Things are not always the way they appear. What does unforgiveness look like? It could be one or more of these because I want to make it very practical so that each one of us will relate with it in our lives. Unforgiveness could be you holding a grudge. You know how it is like to hold a grudge. Unforgiveness could be like you hating or despising the other person. Unforgiveness could be like you seeking revenge. When you seek revenge, let me do him back or do her back. You are living in unforgiveness. Unforgiveness could be you becoming bitter. When you are bitter, you are never better. Unforgiveness could be you wanting to keep a score. You know what it means to keep a score? Keep a record. Unforgiveness could, you, could be about you speaking negatively about the person. Oh, I've heard spouses speak so demeanly of their spouse. That useless man, or that useless woman, or that good-for-nothing man, or that good-for-nothing woman. Unforgiveness could be about you wallowing in self-pity. Unforgiveness could be about you holding on to anger. You know, when people hold on to anger, they feel justified. There's always a justification to be angry. Unforgiveness could be you meditating on and being fixated on an issue. Unforgiveness could be your heart becoming hardened towards the other person. Unforgiveness could be you responding to the other person with the kind of treatment that their shortcoming deserves. Does that make sense? Okay, let me emphasize this. Unforgiveness 
could be you feeling justified in your less than loving behavior towards the other. Oh, I feel justified not to love him or not to love her. There's a good reason not to. But you know what, brothers and sisters? Damilo, you know what? None of these behaviors described here produces peace. None of them produces happiness. None of them. None of them is either, how would I put it? None of them is either healthy or life-enhancing. None of them. None. I want us to know that God, God forgives us freely. And he wants us to do the same thing. And he has, as a matter of fact, empowered us to do so. Because he has made us as he is, according to his word. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32. says, instead, be kind to each other. Tender-hearted. Forgiving one another. Just as God, through Christ, has forgiven you. How were we forgiven? We were forgiven freely and completely. Our offenses were taken from us completely as far as the east is to the west and the north is to the south. And God threw our offenses where? Into the sea of forgetfulness. He said, your sins I will remember no more. Forgiveness starts with a decision. But it is often a process and can be very hard on the flesh. Anybody who tells you that when you have been deeply hurt, it is easy to forgive is a lie. Forgiveness oftentimes can only be done or accomplished by the help of the Holy Spirit. We hide things from God who knows everything about us. We pretend to God. When you are hot, there's nothing wrong with you telling God, Lord, this thing that this sister did to me, this thing that this husband, this wife, all this person did to me is hurting me deeply. I feel hate welling up in my heart. Lord, help me to overcome this. The best form of spiritual relationship we can have with God is the one that comes with sincerity and honesty. Help me, God. I cannot do this alone. Each time I see her, all I want to do is to turn the other side. Each time I see her or I see him, all I want is to revenge on him. Tell God, this is how I feel. But we all have what it takes to forgive because God has given it to us. And it can be done. Not that it can be done, it must and should be done. 
you can forgive whether or not the other person receives it or even knows it. Forgive. Forgiveness is, all, is not all that is needed to mend a strained relationship. But it's a beginning. It's a beginning. Without forgiveness, true reconciliation and restoration is not even possible. Let's not pretend about it. Weed number four, as I close. Weed number four that we need to weed out is our adversary. Our adversary is our classic enemy. Our adversary is not your spouse, even if it feels like it sometimes. <laughs> Have you ever been in an argument with your spouse that you feel that this is the devil reincarnated? <laughs> this one, as I'm seeing him, as I'm seeing her, is the devil's incarnate. You may feel that way, but that is not your adversary. The scriptures are clear. We have only one adversary. The devil. 1 Peter chapter 5 verse 8 says the King James Version Be sober. Be vigilant. Because your adversary who? The devil. As a roaring lion walked about seeking whom he may devour. Let me paraphrase it. Your adversary the devil walketh about like a roaring lion seeking what marriage to destroy. The devil is our enemy and is the enemy of our marriages. The devil knows how significant marriages and relationships are. In forward movement in life. When he created Adam, he said, It is not good for man to be alone. God said it. Since that day, God said it, the devil knew that if I want to destroy humanity, I want to destroy the strength of God's army, what do I do? Let me face marriages. He knows that relationships matter to God and relationships matter to men. Forget it all. Forget it. No matter, in Pidgin English, I agree upon worry. No matter the shangri that somebody is doing, for me, I no grief. Forget it. Divorce always leaves a scar, it leaves a deep wound. Divorce causes you. you see, the Bible says we are light and we are salt. That major, major component of that salt is the family. Families reproducing godly families. When there's divorce, what are you doing? By implication, you are raising dysfunctional families. 
They say hot people hurt others. When you see a man beating his wife, more often than not, it is where he grew up from. More often than not. It is very, in very rare instances do you see a child grow up in a dysfunctional setting and the child, like Okonkwo in Things Fall Apart, fall apart determines and says, I will not be like this. Very rare. He knows that the quality of our marriage, the quality of our significant relationships is the most important factor to our sense of well-being. You may think you are having fun doing what you are doing. You may think you are having fun being mischievous, being deceitful, cheating on your spouse. But God will hold you to account because what you are doing is raising a generation of dysfunctional families. God will hold you to account. If God were to enable you look and see the implication of what you are doing in generations to come, you will shudder. A simple, oh, since I can't have a child, why don't you sleep with our housemaid, Hagar? Just that simple thing is where we are today. The world is not at peace because of that simple decision. Why do you look at yourself and you say, the legacy I will live on this earth is adding negativity than positivity. The legacy I will live on this earth is to cause people to be derailed from the purposes of God rather than align them. Why would you take such a decision? Because he knows that marriage is matter to our well-being, matter to our relationship with God. Is ready to attack it directly or indirectly with the aim of destroying them. We are warned in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11. Listen to what the, the, the scripture says. It says, keep Satan from getting the advantage over you. For we are not ignorant of his wiles and intentions. You know, when you see somebody doing a wrong thing or that has done wrong thing, oftentimes you ask them, why did you do it? They say it's the devil. It's not a lie. He's the devil. The only problem is that because we are flesh and blood, you can never present the devil as evidence in court. That's the only problem. But the truth is that it's the devil. Keep Satan from getting the advantage over you. For we are not ignorant of his wiles and intentions. What are his wiles? Suggestions. Suggestions. Ah, if you do it, nobody will see you now. Ah, what does it matter? After all, your father did it, your mother did it. What came out of it? Ah, it's just for five minutes now. 
Our adversary has tricks and negative intentions against us that we must be aware of. And I pray that in the name of Jesus, every such trick, every such advantage that the enemy has over you presently will fail in the name of Jesus. But we must watch out. We must be diligent to know how he stirs up strife, how he stirs up misunderstanding. That's what I just tried to explain to us. How come? That's how he does it now. How come you're only the one who's reaching out to your in-laws? How come he never does the same thing? He never calls my father. So I won't call again. That is not life. Oh. That is not life. Suggestion. You were doing it, oh, doing it, je, 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 and they come through people. Oh. Ah, I've been to your house. Oh. I see the way you, just, you are just loving your mother-in-law and your father-in-law. Does your husband do the same thing? Suggestion. You that were doing something well and your conscience was free, somebody has introduced an idea. You say, wait a minute, not true. Come to think of itself. I'm the only one. I'm the only one. For as long as it's not life-enhancing, for as long as it's not healthy, for as long as... Oh, what is that scripture? Philippians now. Whatsoever is pure. Whatsoever has a good report. Whatsoever what again? Huh? What is not praiseworthy? So the scripture tells us the things to ponder on. The things to throw away as soon as they come into your mind. The enemy, is, the enemy is very good. He's good as gently whispering, whispering into our ears. They are never loud words. It's a whisper. Have you ever thought about this? Did you notice that he's always coming back at so-and-so time? Did you notice that he's always or she's always doing this? Suggestions. We need to guard and protect our marriage. We need to guard and protect our relationships from Satan's evil schemes. And what are his schemes? To steal, to kill, and to destroy. That's why the Bible says, guard your heart. Proverbs chapter 4, I think verse 3 or 23. Guard your heart with what? All diligence. Protect your heart. While we must not disregard all of these, all, all of these enemies that we have mentioned, and many more that we didn't mention, it is very important that we recognize the devil. We recognize the devil as the ultimate enemy of our marriage. So of all that we have mentioned, unforgiveness, the flesh, of all of them, he is the greatest enemy. He's the greatest enemy. He's the instigator behind all other forms of evil. The instigator behind unforgiveness. The instigator of the flesh. He is the number one enemy. Ephesians chapter 6 verse 12 tells us, he said, we are not fighting against flesh and blood. 
but against what? Principalities and powers. And that translation puts it like this. We are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. It takes a lot of spiritual maturity and insight for each one of us to pause and look past the conflict and strife we encounter in our marriages and in our relationships to see the real person, the adversary in the situation. And that is why the Bible warned us to what? Be sober. Be vigilant. Because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion. Doing what? Seeking whom? He may devour. The Bible instructs us to be vigilant. Indeed, he uses all sorts of tricks and schemes to catch us off guard. He goes around like what? Like a burglar checking out houses to find out where there are weak locks, open windows, and doors that are not properly shut. He constantly seeks weak links in the areas of our lives that he can access. And that is why we must guard our hearts with all diligence. Without a doubt, every one of us present here, the devil has caught us off guard at one point in time or the other. If you'll be honest with yourselves. But going forward, guard your hearts. Guard your hearts. And God's wisdom cries out that directly or indirectly that you, in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 27, it says, do not, I will read, let me read from the NCV, New Century Version. It says, do not give the devil a way to defeat you. The, the, the New English translation says, do not give the devil an opportunity. The, the, the New International Reader's Version says, don't give the devil a chance. Uh, the NIV says, do not give the devil a foothold. A foothold. Do not give him. Because if you give him, he will enter. So there's a battle for our marriages, a battle for our relationships. Let's know that. We can ensure our prowling adversary does not operate in our lives by recognizing him and by recognizing his schemes. We mustn't give him room. We mustn't bring him into the picture. Who must we bring into the picture? God. 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 I urge you this morning, invite God if you have not done it. Even if you have done it before, do it again and again. Invite God into your marriage. Make your marriage a threesome. A threesome. Ecclesiastes chapter 4 verse 12 says, An enemy might be able to defeat one person, but two people can stand back, back to back to defend each other. And three people even stronger. They are like a rope that has three parts wrapped together. It is very hard to break. The King James Version says it's a threefold cord that cannot be easily broken. Who is that threefold? Who is that third person? Jesus. God is meant to be the third person in our marriages. And he desires it to thrive even more than the two individuals in that marriage relationship. We are not meant to do it alone. We are not meant to do it alone. Brethren, it is wise to keep seeking and bringing in his involvement 
an intervention in our homes. Always. Don't get tired of asking him to come. Don't get tired of seeking his involvement. Let's draw on all the wisdom from his word. And let's seek the amazing help of the Holy Spirit. He's available for us, the believer. That is why I told you that this message is not for the unbeliever. It's for the believer. The Holy Spirit is there. Seek his intervention and help. It will help you. Because when the Holy Spirit comes in to help, as I close, he gives you the ability that is beyond your natural capacity. The ability that is beyond your natural capacity to forgive. We all have capacities. There are some things that happen to us that are almost impossible to forgive. That is our capacity. But when the Holy Spirit comes in, He gives you the ability that is beyond your natural capacity to forgive. It gives you the ability that is beyond your natural capacity to love. Some of us have said in our relationships, thus far I can go and no more. I can't handle this anymore. It gives you ability beyond your natural capacity not to keep scores. You've tried it. I, you really don't want to keep a record of the wrongdoing, but it keeps coming. It keeps coming. It keeps coming. I can't seem to forget it. Holy Spirit will give you the ability. I can't hear anybody saying amen. amen. He will give you the ability beyond your natural capacity amen. to overlook the weakness of your spouse. Amen. Because we all have weaknesses. He will give you ability beyond your natural capacity to be gracious and to be able to love unconditionally. May God help us. May God help us. Shall we rise to our feet? I just have this burden in my heart to say this and it's directed to the younger ones your upbringing is not your fault it's not your choosing we do not choose the families we will be born into if I had the ability to choose, I would have been born in America and be born in Jeff Bezos's house or I don't know. Elon Musk, thank you. <laughs> if I had. But the only problem is that I think a lot of us would have chosen that too. And the house would be overcrowded. We don't have the ability to choose the families will come from. But one ability you have is to take a decision 
not to take up the shortcomings of your upbringing. You can propose in your heart, say, because I am a child of God, I will leave a better example than my parents. For those of us who are in functional rather than dysfunctional homes, kudos, glory to God. But while you take the templates of your upbringing to your homes, also be mindful of the upbringing of your spouse so that you can, by wisdom, adapt your upbringing to his or her upbringing. The Bible says that the wisdom is profitable to direct. Allow the wisdom of God rule your heart. Like I said, there are more. But if we practice this for our marriages will be made in heaven. I want you to lift up your voice. But before we pray, if there's anyone here who has not surrendered his or her life to Jesus Christ, anyone, anyone, I just want you to lift up that hand so that I can pray with you. So I can pray with you. Anyone who's saying Jesus come into my life. God is not interested in finger pointing. No. Because you yourself have your own weaknesses. You. The only thing you can pray is that my own children do not learn from my own weaknesses. No one is perfect. So I want us to pray and say, Father, by your mercy, give me ability to overcome all of these obstacles to healthy marriages. Ability to overcome the negative impact of my upbringing. Ability to overcome my flesh. Ability to overcome unforgiveness and bitterness. Father, give me ability beyond my natural capacity. Give me ability above all to overcome the adversary, the devil. Do not allow me give him a foothold in my life and in my marriage. Do not allow me, O oh God. Help me, O oh God, to run my race, O oh God, and to finish it strong. Father, give me grace. Give me uncommon ability, O oh God. Cover me in your presence. Hold my hand and walk with me, O oh God. Give me victory, O oh God, over these walks of the flesh. Father, in the name of Jesus, give me victory over the negative templates of my upbringing. Give me victory over them, O oh God. Imbue me with your wisdom, O oh God, even to be able to apply the good parts of my upbringing in my marriage and my relationship. Lord God, help me to overcome my flesh. Help me, O oh God, to overcome unforgiveness. Help me to overcome the devil, the adversary. Help me, O oh God, 
Let him have no place in my life. Let him have no place in my family. In the name of Jesus. In the life of my wife. In the life of my husband. In the life of my lives of my children. Lord God, let him have no place, oh God. In the name of Jesus. Oh Father, help me. I receive your grace. By faith, oh Lord, in the name of Jesus. I receive it, O oh God. I receive it, O oh God. Thank you, Father. Blessed be your name, O oh God. And so shall it be. In Jesus' mighty name we are prayed. Amen. I will entertain just two questions, if there are. Just two. Only two. If there are. One. Anyone else? Okay, please, can you give the young lady a microphone? Down, back there. At the back. Going, going, gone. Any more? Not when she asked. Somebody will remember her hair. I wanted to. Okay. Hello, church. Hi. So, I wanted to ask, you said something about making excuses for people. Okay, is it applicable in every situation? And if it is, when does making excuses for people start to affect you as a person? Like, when does it affect, like, make you look foolish in a way? Okay, thank you very much. Very good question. I will start from the, from the back to the front. Uh, that is the major problem. That is the major problem why a lot of us don't make excuses. And it is human. We always feel foolish. We always think people will call us fools. So the beginning point is to understand that we need God to help us assimilate this into our spirits that we do not seek the approval of men, but the approval of God. And what that helps you do is, even though you feel foolish, God says you should do it all the same. And if God says you should do it, it means it is wise. That is why the Bible says that the foolishness of God is wiser than men. You may not feel the reward or the benefit now, but trust me, over time, you will see why God wanted you to tread that path. Okay? So, to answer the question, how often or how long, I think you put it that way, it's always. Except when the facts are very glaring, you are sure. What you should do in such circumstance is to nicely lovingly confront the person so that the person may be able to give you a reason. There are sometimes when the facts are glaring and you confront that person and when the person explains to you why he or she did what she did, it might make sense to you. Okay? But for as long as you are... You see, there's a one reason why God created us to be opaque. You know what that means? I can't look at you now and tell what is going on in your mind. There's a reason. That ability is reserved only for God. And because God makes us that way, God wants us to give people the benefits of the doubt. 
that is why that Philippian says whatsoever is pure whatsoever is of a good report whatsoever is um, noble think on those things you are not a fool you are only obeying God and God the commandments of God the Bible says are never grievous God will show you at some point why doing that is very helpful to you does that answer your question okay Father, we thank you. Lord, we bless you and we give you glory. May all we have heard, all we have learned, take root in our hearts and bear fruits in the name of Jesus. The questions that were meant to be asked, maybe out of shyness, they were not asked. Holy Spirit of God, answer those questions. In Jesus' mighty name we have prayed.